Hi, I'm Karen Pollard and welcome to the Challenger CEO podcast. I've got an amazing guest with me today. I am joined by Ali Fawcett, who is the founder of 303 Media and Plus Plus Plus. So I'll get Ali to introduce himself and tell us more about him. Morning, how are you? Good, how are you, Ali? Very well, thanks for having Excellent. me. That intro is spot on. You've nailed that, I love it. <laughs> Thank um, you. No, thanks very much for having me on. Um, as you said, obviously I've founded 303, um, which I'm sure we'll talk more about, which is a creative performance agency um, and yeah had a bit of a long journey of running a business for like nine years now which mm. people watching this will probably look at me as a child and <laughs> I still am so yeah I'm really excited to talk about a lot of things today fantastic um, but yeah thanks for having me on great excellent so for anybody who don't doesn't know about you and yeah, haven't heard quite of a you lot of people probably. <laughs> so what's your elevator pitch then I guess my elevator pitch is I founded a business nine years ago, um, which I would say has been a nice success. Um, I now run a business which employs about 25 people. Um, We work with some of the coolest premium brands in London and the UK and the world. Um, And yeah, we focus on creative-led performance. So we create content for brands, we shoot content, um, and then we also serve out to their audiences and build their businesses um, Mm -hmm. through multiple channels within digital, including paid, organic, email, etc. So that's what I get up to, but I've obviously had a few fingers in a few other pies and had some other businesses along the way. Um, some of which failed terribly, some of which I've left and moved on from. Um, and yeah, 303 is kind of my baby at the moment um, and what I'm kind of growing and building. But uh, mm. yeah, kind of excited to see the next 10 years almost. Yes. It should be cool. Definitely. And you've got a massive team under you. Yeah. So how? talk to me about that because where did you start and... Where have you landed now with all yeah, that? Yeah, sure. So I started from like a be- basically a bedroom. Um, so I guess a bit of context to the story. When I was at school and kind of at that early age, I don't know if people remember in the UK the kind of elevated university prices, which went through the roof. And I think there was riots on the street and that kind of thing, which is obviously a scary time. I was sort of a year or so below that happening. So mm. by going to uni, I would be paying, I think, 30 grand a year. I don't even know how much it costs, but yeah. it's around that, right? Um, and at that point, I remember sitting, I think I was on holiday with some family and everyone was like talking about it. And we were looking on these TV back home and there's literally like what's happening in the central London and whatever. And I was like, how... Well, I'm going to uni, like that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I'm not going to pay that amount or whatever. I don't want that debt. Um, I looked at it that way. And I kind of made my mind up at that point that actually I would have to do something else. Mm. And I didn't really have like, you know, massive aspirations to be starting a business at that point. I just didn't have any other options really. Mm. So fast forward a little bit, I had that in mind. I was like, I'm not going, I'm not going. I'm not going to follow what people are doing. And I kind of started to ask my friends, like, why are you going in there? Like, I'm going to do geography at uni. I'm like, but you play like rugby all weekend. Like, why do you want to... I just didn't understand it. I didn't... I couldn't put myself in a place where I understood why we'd make that decision. Mm. Which hindsight now, a lot of people are like, oh, I get it. Which I was like, kind of makes me laugh a little bit. But <laughs> not to say I was right. And I think, you know, if you're going to go operate on someone's heart you probably need to go learn how to do it yeah. but equally there's some stuff which I think there is more resource in the world that isn't a university to learn mm. um so yeah kind of got to like a college place and and I remember very vividly one day two classes one of which I was in being kind of put in a room together 60 kids it's three hours of learning how to apply to universities and what you need to do and I was like cool I'm not going so what do I do and I was literally put in the room next door by myself and I think I played Flappy Birds for like an hour. And then after that, I was like, what am I going to do? A little bit of panic, a little bit of like, mm. oh my God. Like, And I think when you're young, everything is the worst thing ever. Do you know what I mean? Like everything is terrifying. Like exams seem terrifying, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I just thought, well, if I can start a business that does something and I can get people around me. That was also a big concern, obviously, to your question around team of like, how can I get people on this journey? I have no money, I have no experience, I have no case study, CV, anything. What can I do to to convince people? And that was kind of like an exciting challenge. At the time, I was like eating a sandwich and drinking green tea. So I said, well, I'll call it Green Tea Productions and we'll go and make theatre shows and we'll go and make films and we'll go and shoot content and it'll be really cool. This is the time, this is like 2012, 2013, Olympics had just happened, Instagram, it was three, four years old. Like there was things happening, Twitter was at its big point. Mm. It was like action, right? There was things mm. going on. So I was like, okay, fine, let's start in theatre. 
got a few people around me um, to kind of like go, right, we're going to do a theatre show, we're going to do our own thing. Um, and we kind of speeding up this story slightly. We found a script from a local writer who's at a local theatre um, and we basically put on theatre shows throughout the UK, Edinburgh Fringe. But we sold out a lot of those shows because we used Twitter ads. So I learned how to be a creative, learned how to make content, shot like a trailer, shot some um, stills, etc. ran them on Twitter ads and we went to the end of a fringe and we had like sellout shows and big productions didn't. Mm. And we had basically used Twitter to sell out our shows. So that taught me, right, there's something in this. Mm. There's something, uh, the idea of selling something online, which is obviously the foundation of what social is now, or at least what everyone uses social for. So... I basically did that and I was like, every, the people that were with me, some of them were on gap years, some of them decided to go to uni, some of them, one of them became a really well-known actor called Finn Cole, who's in like Peaky Blinders and stuff and Fast and Furious. Um, still speak to him every so often, but he's busy traveling the world. Um, so, you know, people went off and did their different things and I was like, cool, I'm just going to do this for brands. And I spent about three or four years learning and adapting myself into all the skill sets of what an agency is so mm. I had like my own version of university for like three four years which um, was really cool and really stressful but I was just working for brands and developing things out which is why when you think of my business being nine years old it kind of includes a really long period of learning yeah because my mindset was if I'm going to build a business I want to do every single job I have no qualifications or background I need to learn how each job works so now today when we've got 25 members of staff whatever it is I've done everyone's job in some way obviously people are much better than I was but like I've been a creative I've done like three shoots in a day I've run social ads I've run a social media account like I, I can engage with our team and have a conversation with them about something mm. but I've also done client services I've, I know what it's like when a client's screaming down the phone with you also when their client's really happy like I've yeah. experienced those things which for me is really Really important to do I think in in kind of a, a young age but also any businesses understand what the limitations restrictions and opportunities are within your team mm. and that's kind of how I valued it so yeah that's kind of got me to where we are today and we now yeah. employ a team and, and we do some cool things I think fantastic I hope, at least I hope we do <laughs> and how would your team describe your leadership style chaotic um <laughs> I, I think I think um I'm I'm a big believer in like pro, like daily and weekly progress. I would definitely say I'm I'm self-aware. I would I would like to think I am. You know, I don't think anyone that I is around me would say that you're not self-aware. Mm. Um I've definitely in my leadership style had moments of like quite heightened arrogance that I know best and not listening to people and I've learned from that massively and I think that as as CEOs or or founders like I'm a self-imposed CEO, right? I I made myself a CEO. Like that's how it works. Yeah. You know, like I'm not the CEO. I think when you're CEO of like two person agency, sometimes it's a bit like you don't need to be a CEO yet. But when, you know, 20 plus people, it's it's the volume of people that makes you that, mm. gives you that title. I believe mm. that, mm. you know, you, you know, experience sometimes does matter, doesn't matter. But when you're self-imposed, when you've given yourself that role, you've got to have a certain level below you. That's just how I look at it. Yeah. But um, I think leadership style is, is, is very chaotic. I like, I'm a big believer in speed and constantly trying to move forward daily, if not weekly. Um, which is draining for sure. Like three or three is not, I would say like, and this is obviously making sure that we can still hire some great people. Like I always say to people in interviews, like this isn't easy. It's not like a come in, fit into the background and do your thing. Like we look at everything all the time. We are underdogs. I was, guess why I'm on this podcast, but like <laughs> we're trying to challenge ourselves. So like yeah. we don't have time for slow progress mm. or whatever it might, might be. We do have time for people making mistakes, but learning from them, you know, that's yeah. how we value those sorts of things. So I think, you know, I try and I try and be involved with the team and as much as I can. I kind of I've always had slight trust, you know, ways of working, I guess I'll call it. Sometimes I'm saying I will give that one bit of trust and if it's broken, I'm sometimes a bit like, mm, it's hard to recover. Mm. But yeah, I think I think my leadership style has kind of evolved, but I definitely think I've over nine years it's never been perfect, right? Yeah. Like it's always had its challenges. But chaotic, excited, um, I think, you know, hopefully trustworthy is is a word I would try and use but yeah. I know that you know running sometimes when you're in your 30s and you're working for a 26 year old you're like who the fuck is this guy um which I totally understand and I try and be aware about but um yeah giving people opportunities is always a big thing for me because no one no one I wouldn't be where I am if people didn't give me some yeah do you experience a lot of ageism for personally 
Uh, I have done in the past. I guess, like, I kind of, like, celebrate my age throughout my life. I've walked into, like, pictures in shorts and a hoodie um, because, like, there's no point hiding it. Like, I'm not, mm. not going to walk in in a shirt or that kind of thing. I, I had a few part-time jobs um, when I started my business. Um, one of them was on German Street in London, which is, like, the gentleman street. Um, I don't know if you know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working selling hats, and there I wore a suit, and I've, you know, had that professional environment stuff. I was there every Saturday and, and a few days during the week when I was at college but um that wasn't really a job because I was kind of like partly running the shop with this other guy so it was you know it was, it was I didn't have anyone to report to as such like it was a bit more free and then obviously I started doing my thing so I don't know what it's like to have a boss which obviously makes things hard but um yeah I think throughout the years there's been opportunities where well there's been moments where people have definitely looked at me as like this guy's like a kid I think though that with the work I do being a little bit younger has its advantages but I also think now where we are, if you're super young, like if I was 17 in 2023, I think I would have more challenges than I did in 2013. Do you know okay. what I mean? Because I think what people expect from agencies and the, like I, I grew up as the agency, as the, as the industry grew. Mm. So I was kind of like parallel in its growth. So when I first started, it was like a young man's game. and It's now got a little bit older. Mm. You've now got agencies and businesses that are run by, you know, older generations who are really good at what they do. And the space, like, you know, Google search as an ad um, channel has been around for a long time. You know, it's like new. Things like TikTok are a little bit different, right? So I think, you know, age has always played against me sometimes, but it's also sometimes works in my favour. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I kind of look at it as I can't really hide it, um, especially with, like, the way I talk or the way I dress or whatever like that. I can't really change it. So I kind of just look to embrace it because yeah. I think that's the best thing to do. That's your personal identity and your yeah. brand. You own it. I hope so. Yeah. Um, what are you most proud of that you've achieved? Starting, I think, is the, the, the biggest thing I always go back to. I think, like, now... Like, my business has always had challenges. Like, we've always had... Stuff goes wrong all the time. There's fires probably happening right now back at the office. Like, it just will be. Like, it's just the nature of running a business. Um, and I've gone through some, some, some hard stuff, for sure. But starting is the hardest. Scaling is hard. And we, like, in 2021, we scaled, like, 12, 12 to 15% month on month as a business. So, like, we've gone through that mad growth, right? And that was, like, hard and had challenges, but it wasn't, mm. like it wasn't as hard as personally just starting. Mm. And I always tell the story of that, like being in a room and just starting a company based on a drink, right? Um, yeah. And then going for it. But like that moment was the hardest by far. Yeah. Um, and I would say that being proud of starting something is always great. Actually, do you know today is like National Quitters Day or something? Like <laughs> this is the day, yeah. I think of recording this, where like most people quit their resolutions because there's that idea of like starting something and then being consistent. And I think consistency is hard, but I think starting is the hardest. Yeah. you know quitting your job starting something new all those things mm. and I would think that for me no matter how much money I make personally or what I achieve or the brands we work with or anything like that I still just go back to like ha- being proud of myself to have the confidence to start something yeah. um, because I had everyone against me like I was I was not bullied is a strong word but like people took the piss right mm. and like, people do they're like now starting a business is sexy back then which makes me sound really old it wasn't that cool and it was filled with like doubt and like especially in, in kind of my world you know it was like why are you doing that go and get a job at KPMG go and get mm. a job at UI you should be good at maths to succeed like those were some of the things mm. and I'm super sexy and ADHD so like that's not going to happen mm. um at least not then so yeah, I think starting is anyone that starts something new or, or makes a change, I think is something they should be super proud of because yeah. going against the grain as per this podcast is always Yes, hard. definitely. And you mentioned two words, ADHD and dyslexia. Yeah. How has that impacted your personal <clears throat> and professional life and how has that moulded where <clears throat> you're today? So when I was younger, like, I, my, um, my schools, when I, was, when I was at school, so I'm talking like, 11 years old plus maybe even younger to be honest like they started to be on the on the um on the crust of kind of uh trying to find out who had who had dyslexia and like they sort of saw it and they you would do tests for extra time <clears throat> excuse me um all, and all that sort of stuff and I think in my whole education I was tested in school about five times and outside of school about five times in total and in the dyslexia thing my, my parents were just like we just want you to know know as much as you can about yourself so you can Mm. understand your brain's chemistry because Mm. having dyslexia having ADHD nothing changes for me it's just understanding myself which is why like if it's diet or it's fitness whatever I just like to know what's going on so then I can deal with it if I'm not in a good mental state I would like to know that so I can do something about it right so 
when I was younger, I was like not dyslexic, severely dyslexic, kind of dyslexic, not dyslexic. It was just a bit up and down. And that's because now it is different and that's great. And I'm really happy by that. Um, and that's kind of down to like government stuff, which I think is, you know, as much as there. We won't go into it, but like I think there's some good stuff that's going on there. Um, but I had a bit of a mixed feeling of what it was. And mm. I was also kind of at the end of that period of time where it was a really bad thing. Mm. Now it's kind of cool to be dyslexic mm. and it's kind of cool to be ADHD. And I get that and I understand why. Um, I just think though that what what the community are trying to do, community makes it sound a bit intense, but like, you know, what LinkedIn are trying to do, mm. what Twitter are trying to do, what influencers are trying to do, I guess, is make sure people feel welcome into that space. Because it can be a bit terrifying to say, one day you can wake up with ADHD and feel absolutely fine. The next day you could wake up with terrifying anxiety or stress or mm. not understanding. Yeah. And there are so many amazing people that are deemed a success that have those conditions and people look at them and go, great. But then I also look at them and go, yeah, but they've also got these other things as well. It doesn't mean you're going to be successful. It doesn't mean yeah. you're going to be a failure. Yeah. Understanding is like the most important thing. Hmm. I have a lot of people that work for me that are really dyslexic. Um, and I guess me being quite open about it, I hope provides an environment where they feel confident. Yeah. Especially when like their coworkers are being like, you spelled January wrong. And you're like, yeah, but I'm, you know, and I can kind of relate with that. Mm. Um, the one thing that I struggle with the most, which will probably be told, like seen in some podcasts and like this kind of content is, is the stutter that I ha like kind of adopt sometimes. And that basically comes from my brain working too fast for my other senses. So the reason why I can't write or read is because if I take a sentence, my brain's at the end of it, but my eyes are at the start. Mm. So basically what has happened, and same with writing, same with talking, my brain is thinking three or four words or sentences ahead, and then everything else is farther behind, mm. which is where my handwriting looks like it's been like a three-year-old, and <laughs> I can't read out aloud that well. I've tried to get better at it and everything like that, and that provides insecurities. Like if I stand in front of my team on a Monday and I stutter and I slip on my words I get a bit like oh this is this is a bit you know mm. do people think I'm an idiot mm. like do people think I can't do it so mm. there are those preconceptions that I think people get but for, for me like I've, I've obviously tried to go against so much I've kind of got to the point where I don't really care what people think as, yeah. as much as I do I think everyone does care in some way but like I try not to care um and I really open about it that that for me was a really big kind of sign mm. of cure to the to the stresses is telling people on a podcast, telling people in yeah. person, like speaking to clients about it. Like if I do it loads, I'll be like, sorry, I'm, I'm stuttering because of this. And it just being a bit open about it mm. for, for me was great mm. and really good to do. Um, I never had like a stutter, stutter, stutter. I never got to that point, but mm. it comes from the ADHD and the dyslexia, just blending all together, like a smoothie mixer in the brain. Mm. And then the us get to. Yeah. What I also noticed was... Um, like the creative side, I guess, of what we do, like being able to visually see creative stuff is obviously connected to it. So that's an advantage. Um, being able to creatively think about problems is another advantage. So there's there's loads more advantages. Yeah. I think in 2023, being able to write on a piece of paper isn't as much of a like pro as being able to think about something creative. So sure. it's a blessing in disguise. But early years, and if anyone's going through that kind of thing, I know still happens. Mm. It's just like try and understand yourself because I think that's a great way to grow. Yeah. And move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it helps the fact that your parents had that approach in guiding you through that transition yeah. as well. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. They were just, yeah. just a, like, I think family. I think we had like a few family friends and stuff who had like, started to like it was it was a discussion you know started to find out that they were dyslexic mm. whatever mm. um adhd is pretty crippling for people i don't have it at a point that i think is um i would say crippling i know people that have it at a point that's quite crippling and quite like hard to work with every day um there's obviously medication i tried the medication thing for a week it was the worst week of my life really um yeah like not a, like a mad scale but like the medication this was in my teens um, I think people use it at uni now. Mm. Um, it's called Ritalin. Mm -hmm. But people use it at, uh, at uni to like concentrate and I'm like, that's not a good idea. But yeah, I, I had that for, for a while and it's just, it's you're really playing with the chemistry in your brain sure. and that just didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, and I much prefer working with stuff that is a long-term solution. It's a bit like extra time or getting a laptop at school or all these sorts of things. I was like, great, but you're not working on a long-term thing. You're mm. trying to get me through an exam. Mm. Um, and that's where I did work. But I've got an E in business at A-level, but I've got a business, so it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> um, but equally, I failed that because I couldn't remember stuff because my memory's really bad. Um, mm. So there's lots of things there that kind of tie into the education world. I'm not a big advocate for education as a thing in terms of 
obviously learning, but like the system, I think it's hard, but I also just think that it's an impossible task. Like yeah. I think it's kind of spiraling out of control where I don't really see where the solutions are. Mm. So it's it's that classic thing of saying, I don't agree with it, but I don't know how to fix it. Mm. That's kind of how I look at it for me personally, because I'm like, I don't know how I would even try and make that easier for people with ADHD, people with dyslexia, whatever it might be. It's just, it's at such a scale that it's kind of an impossible problem. Yeah. Um, so I think when everyone's kind of shouting and screaming at governments about it, I get it, but what, what do you want to do then? Like, what exactly. do you think the solution is? Like, exactly. It's that classic thing of if you're mm. going to argue with someone, at least come in with something you think is useful, otherwise yes. there's no point. So yeah, that's one of those things that I think is mm, difficult. Definitely. I think that's a whole different discussion anyway. There is, yeah. There's another podcast there. <laughs> Does... Um, does the, the ADHD and dyslexia part of, of your persona, does that give you imposter syndrome? Do, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, I think, I think it does. I mean, I've never really like, I try not, through my early years, I really tried to evaluate myself too much and I felt that very limiting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, self-pressure is probably the biggest thing I do mm-hmm. um, in terms of just applying so much pressure onto myself that like mm-hmm. you break. So I think there's ways of trying to, look at it but I kind of the way I try and work is if I want to be upset about something I'll be upset about something if I want to be happy about something I'll be happy about something like let allow yourself to do those things it's like with like team get upset with me in in terms of like I'll have a meeting with someone I can tell they're down they start crying I'll be like it's okay to cry and I hate when people apologize for crying because I'm like let your emotions be your emotions Mm -hmm. because otherwise we're not human beings we're robots so for me I've really gone through that journey of like applying too much pressure like stressing myself out overthinking imposter syndrome all those things I try and just keep it as level as I can because yeah. with the way I work, I'm up and down, up and down. Yeah. Um, like even even doing this, I could have woken up this morning and felt really down. I kind of woke up and I'm in a good place. Mm. But you can wake up really down. But that's also, that's not just ADHD and dyslexia, that's human beings. Like that's what we do, right? You mm. wake up and you have a bad day. That classic saying yeah. of waking up on the wrong side of the bed. So yeah, I think for me, I'm, I, I've definitely experienced it, but I really try not to put the pressure on. That's sure. the biggest thing because I think people over-pressurise themselves yeah. and I'm definitely guilty of that. Mm. I think all founders and CEOs are. Mm. You you expect the world of mm. yourself and, and then when it doesn't happen, you, you're you crippled. Yeah. Um, celebrating wins is a big problem I have. Okay. Yeah, so I really struggle to celebrate good things, which is weird. Like mm. I just, you know, whether we win a client or whether we do some great work or whatever it might be, I couldn't care. And that's a general emotion. I'm just a bit mm. like, cool, what's next? Mm. It's really it's really quite painful to work with. And I've definitely spoken to my team about it so many times. Mm. And they're like, do you even care that we did this great thing? And I'm like, I do. I just naturally don't show that I do. Mm. So that's something I've been working on for a long time and, and will continue to do so. Because it's important to celebrate small wins. Like mm. that's what that's what makes life good, mm. you know? But that's always been a struggle because I'm always thinking about the next thing. Mm. So, yeah. So what feeds you then? I think like the the energy of the process, like feeling like we're moving forward is what I just thrive off. If I feel like I'm going backwards, it really mm. sits badly with me. And mm. moving forward can be like uh, anything. Like it could be a few more people following us on Instagram or it could be like another member of the team. It could be like that client growing. It could mm. be shooting that bit of content better than we shot the last piece. There's yeah. so many things, right? Yeah. So it's it's the the progression, progression and momentum are what mm. I love, mm. and I've I've always had a fear that I'll get gold medal syndrome. I've always had that slight worry about it that like you know if I sold three hundred three or it got to a point of like something that I think is successful that you turn around and be like oh so I really try and enjoy the journey, mm. but it's really hard to do because mm. um, I've spoken to very like a lot of people that have exited companies or they've changed something in their career and they're like I just wish I enjoyed the process more and regret that I didn't just enjoy the day to day as opposed to constantly working to try and get to the end goal yeah that's the bit that I always worry about and think about because I think especially after nine years like if one day I just turn around and go oh, I should regret those last nine years or those mm. last 10 years that would suck yeah um so yeah I think the that would be my biggest one or biggest couple yeah where do you take your counsel from? Because you have obviously this self-imposed CEO. Mm. So who's your mentor? Who's your role model? Who's your go-to? I think um, I've got like a couple of people personally. Um, it's arrogant, but I would definitely try and listen to myself first. Um, I think the one that's one thing we don't do is we doubt ourselves too much. When I say we, I'm kind of putting myself in this bracket of CEOs, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> 
that's one thing I think is sometimes misled is just like actually understanding and really listening to yourself and listening to the gut, listening to the heart. Mm. That's kind of the first thing I do. So I know I'm sure in mm. my in my decision or my thought process. Mm. Um, I've got a um, non-exec chairman, a guy called Chris Donnelly, who has built a very successful agency called Verb and is now working on an amazing business called Lottie. Um, he's, you know, he's like me, he's dyslexic, he's ADHD, he started a business 10 years ago from his bedroom, like he's, we're same sort of journey mm. and like there's amazing counsel there. Um, obviously family are great. I think the one thing that's hard at, at the level of running a business and I'll just say running a business, not even CEO, but if you're in a position of a startup, if you're a one-man band, whatever, there's some stuff that no one else will really understand unless they've done it. Mm. And that is... Again, seems arrogant, but the problem is, is that the stuff that happens in running a business, like we could talk about things in running businesses that we would both understand really what it feels like. And it's that sympathy, empathy thing. But the thing that I think I've struggled with over the years is speaking to my friends who don't run businesses, and some of them do, some of them don't, and like my girlfriend or whatever, mm. she she or they can be so understanding mm. and supportive, but mm. they don't truly understand it. Yeah. And that's really difficult. Yeah. And I think that comes across in other ways of life but that's the challenge often I have of like you know if someone if I need to fire someone or that sounded really brutal if we need to let someone go or if someone has come and left the business or whatever might wants to leave like mm. those are sometimes challenging or you know a client's gonna leave or we haven't won a deal or I don't know whatever it might be sometimes I'll speak to my mates who are working in finance or working in property or whatever mm. it might be and I'm like you guys don't really understand yeah. this fully because you? you don't understand the implication of the bigger picture and whatever it might be mm. so that sometimes is a struggle so having people that have worked in it is always great but um, yeah I think my favourite kind of quote which is actually from Chris annoyingly if he <laughs> listens to this because he'll love the fact it's from him but he, he wrote it on um, like a message to me not too long ago but he said don't take advice so don't take criticism from those who you wouldn't take advice from and I think that for mm. me is quite a big one um, I don't really like the one-off quotes that much but that one I was just like holy shit because like how many times in my life have I listened to someone's criticism on what I'm doing and I wouldn't listen I wouldn't ask them for advice on something mm. that I know about and that's, that's, that's something mm. that I just like saw and I was like oh damn he's right yes. um, but it really sat with me and I think that's something I'm kind of taking into yeah. the next period of, of my life a little Definitely. bit because you can listen to a lot of people's advice yeah. especially like get rich gurus who mm. tell people this is how to do this or this is how to run a business and they haven't done it before mm. so be like hold on mm. you wouldn't listen to advice from them but you'll t- they'll tell you that that doesn't work and you'll that's listen it. to it that's it so that's that, that's that quite nicely with me yeah and it's about valuing and really appreciating where that opinion comes from. Yeah. And if you're not going to value that, then what's the point? 100%. Something you touched on there just pulled me in a bit around the the advice from the gurus. Mm. <laughs> and obviously, gurus. Yes, and obviously being so entrenched in the world around social media, yeah. there's this whole concept around celebritized entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Why does the word entrepreneur grate on you so much? So I wouldn't call myself an entrepreneur. I don't think like publicly. I think privately I probably would because I would understand it. I think I love the fact that right now anyone can start a business. I love that. It's brilliant. I didn't have that necessarily 10 years ago and I, I love that right now. Fantastic. I love it. Great culture. There's a little bit of too much hustle around it. So like whatever, do, do your thing. The slight problem I have is I don't believe that everyone can run a business. I don't believe that, like, the characteristics of what I think you need to have to do it, I don't Mm. believe that people can start, but there's a reason why one in ten businesses fail in their first year and all those mad stats. There is reasons for that. It's not just to do with the economics and the government. There are reasons around it the way I see it. So... I think for me, the why entrepreneurship has come so sexy and like I can, I've got like five businesses and all this sort of thing, the people that I know that are actually doing it, and there are some influencers that I've worked with who are doing it and they are like smashing it and I think they're great way, ways of operating. Mm. But like the people that are like, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm sitting on a beach in Bali and I'm making 20 grand a month and like whatever, honestly fuck off. Like because <laughs> it's just... It, like, it just makes everyone else that's working really, really hard mm. and actually giving up and sacrificing so much to even achieve that, it belittles what they do. Mm. And I've definitely been in that position where I've sat there and I've looked at other people and I've been like, these are all these like, cool entrepreneurs and they're like millionaires and whatever and they're making it look so easy and they're like, just start, whatever. Mm. I get the advice, but don't belittle actually what it takes to run a bakery or what it takes to even start a business. Like, mm. 
I celebrate anyone that comes to me and goes, oh, you've got 25 people, but I've got five. Like, you know, I'm not your level. I'm like, dude, like having five is harder than 25. Like, honestly, it is. Like, because you've got less people to help and whatever. Like, it's, it's harder to be smaller. So I just don't like the fact that online, on social, we are trying to make it into something that it's not. And also we're not celebrating the real challenges that I think you have at an entrepreneurship level. Mm. Um, and the word entrepreneurship to me, in my mind, I just think about people who are faking it. That's where it doesn't sit with me. Whereas if I said I was a business owner, I believe that that is more correct to what I do. Mm. I've obviously had a few businesses and like I've, done, I've spread myself thin and whatever it might be and I've got interests and investment, whatever you call it. So that is that is probably the word that people will describe me as, but like I would say I'm a business owner. Like I mm. own businesses and I run businesses and that's what I do. I don't just like sell crypto mm. and like watch it crash and then you know, mm. pop an NFT just to make it worth it or whatever you want to do. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier that you, you've you had other businesses in the past, some of which have failed and yeah. that. At what point do you know it's time to walk away? Sorry for the audio people on the pouring water, I do apologize. <laughs> Um, so I had like a leather goods business uh, pre-COVID, which was basically making like leather goods and selling them online. Um, it was a skill set I knew how to kind of build out. The, the bit where I know that it's worth walking away and that business I had with a friend and we just sort of fizzled it out and it was, you know, didn't lose any money, didn't make any money, whatever. It was a small little startup-y thing. The point that I know it's fizzled out is when there isn't that like fire inside of you when you wake up in the morning and also like you don't, think that it's most one of the most important things in your life um like 303 for me as a business there's been moments where i could have walked away okay there's been moments where like i could have given up but that like and some of those are relatively recently they're like for me i've always just had listened to myself like i said before and gone like do you really care about that possible payout do you care mm. about like the easier life you could have mm. if there's a part of me that goes yes i would do it but I, like up until today there's not been a single part of me that's gone like actually i've always gone like oh maybe and then i go no mm. like and that's that's the way i've looked at it so yeah i think that's that's happened over the years of like should i give up should i quit whatever this is not working this is stressful um i think every entrepreneur and business owner that i respect has always said persistence is key and i've seen that in my own career if i look back mm. so that's for me where it's kind of been like the right time to move on and not give up mm. but yeah business is failing if if it doesn't if you don't like it don't do it I know that everyone always says I've got bills to pay or whatever, but like there are ways around that and I get it and I won't go into it now. But I think if you generally don't wake up and love what you do and you're deciding to run a business, mm. that's the time to walk away. Mm. Um, you've got to trust your gut a bit more on it um, and all those things can work themselves out. It, it might seem hellish in the moment, but there's always a way through. Um, but yeah, it's the moment where like you've gone... Mm. And I sold, I sold a business last year which was a small e-com brand um, in the car detailing space, which is a bit random, I know. Um, but I had it with another guy who's, um, you know, done done very well for himself and has a level of influence within social. And we built the business up and then we weren't really spending much time in it. We didn't have the passion for it. Mm. Had an opportunity to sell it and we sold it. Um, mm. And it's coming back and when it comes back, I'll probably support it because I want it to grow and rise and whatever it might be. Yeah. The guys that bought it are kind of resetting it and, and building it back out. Mm. And that was my first kind of build and sell. Mm. Um, did I make millions like everyone thinks you do? Nope. Did I make some <laughs> money? Yeah, I did. And it was cool. And, and that was it. So, um, yeah, that's just kind of how I look at it, really. Mm. it's um, I think so many people are... The one thing I think is a mistake in building companies to sell them is if your mindset is, I'm building this to sell this soon, it won't grow. You've got to always have the mindset that I need to grow this as if I'm not selling it. Because I had a I had a kind of a period in my life in the last sort of three years where I was focused on selling 303 in the next 10 years or whatever it might look like. I was like, I'm going to sell it, I'm going to sell it, I'm going to sell it. And that stopped it growing because I just became like I'm going to sell what's currently there yeah. versus actually a growth mindset, which is I'm going to build this to be the biggest thing ever and what happens, happens. Mm. And I noticed the way that I would make decisions, my characteristics, how I think about the business, my energy, all shifted around yeah. from that. Yeah. So it's it's like how you think about stuff mm. um, is really important. But yeah. yeah, businesses, at what point they actually fail, I think is an interesting conversation. Mm. Do you run out of money? Is it love for it? Like, you know, what causes you to close a business? I think is always an interesting conversation. I know a lot of big businesses that are like, 
always battling cash flow or always dealing with problems, whatever it might be, but they're still doomed to success, especially in tech. Like that mm. debt on some of these businesses is crazy. So yeah, I think it's just how you value whether a business is actually mm. failing or whether yeah. it can be... I mean, Twitter was using like losing like a mill a day, right? So like they've obviously got reserves to deal with it and set up. But looking at those things, I think is always interesting because I mm. think people think, oh, I'm going to close tomorrow. Mm. Are you actually like, yeah. do you really know what that looks yeah. like? Yeah. Um, is an interesting one. And sometimes you have to cut back in order to grow. Mm-hmm. So the same, same with gardening. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You strip out the roses and That's, new ones come out. There yeah, we yeah. go. I've not yeah. really done much gardening in my life. <laughs> I've got plants. <laughs> How successful is your rate at keeping them alive? Do you know what? I got an app that I've recruited, like last year where it just tells me when to water them and now they are flourishing. They're There's an app nice. for everything. There's an app for everything. <laughs> Look, work, being an expert in the, the online space and yeah. having been through COVID where a lot of industries were digital laggers yeah. and generations were digital laggers and, and caught up. Mm. We've come out of the COVID slump and hump and the, this digital revolution. Yeah. But we're obviously the UK and there's a global economy um, yeah. where there's a recession looming and hitting. Mm-hmm. And I often have this conversation about how business owners are best placed to control the uncontrollables. Yeah rather than being hit with a ceiling of a, a payroll salary. What advice do you have and what do you see being the best way to survive going into 2023? Sure. So I think a couple of things, not to say you're, you're necessarily wrong. All I would say is that COVID was the biggest growth for online ever. Um, and I think that people are still... Mm. I'll go into more of what you just asked, but there's one thing that we've got to realise, especially when it comes to like the social landscape. Everyone's looking at Facebook, Twitter and Snapchat, getting rid of employees because they're failing. They're actually not. What they're going to is the similar rates of employees that mm. they had pre-pandemic mm. because the pandemic for online, the online world, crypto, e-com, platform, whatever you want to call it, social, it was the biggest boom we, we've ever seen and I think we will ever see for a period of time. Mm. Um, because everyone was online. Like, the, I remember COVID, the beginning of it, almost like it was yesterday because I just signed a lease on a new office and had to move into it. But, like, online sales for, like, small startups was going through the roof because everyone was buying online. Everyone was spending all their time online. So where we are now is kind of recovering back to where we were before, so 2019 levels, with an economic impact. That's basically how I analyze mm. today. <clears throat> There's some great positives to the space. And the positives for me are the way that platforms in social have evolved in this COVID pandemic. 2018, well, 2017, 2018, a lot of platforms were dying. Instagram was actually dying quite heavily. Snapchat was sort of dying. There were other platforms that weren't doing as well. TikTok saved the social space in ways that I think people don't realize, in the way that people consume content. Because mm. What platforms do, which is so brilliant, is understand human psychology. Mm-hmm. And that is something that even I don't really look mm. into as much as they will. Mm. But they understand what people want to consume. And when TikTok um, kind of changed from musically and, and grew, what it became is an interest-based platform. And mm. what that basically means is they serve content to people that they generally want to engage with. Mm. Not what they like, not what they comment on, what they actually want to engage with, engage with from a retention perspective and a shareability perspective. Because the platforms know that if you like something, on Instagram so if someone likes a podcast clip from you if they like it on TikTok let's just say their intentions from a psychological perspective are less whereas if they were to share it because if Mm. they share it they believe there's enough value that other people want to see it Mm. so that is a higher intention and it values the content more and that's where TikTok changed the game which is why Instagram and YouTube Shorts are now doing their thing and short form video is the biggest thing in the world and 2022 was the year of short form video What I think we're going into, and this is like a social thing just generally, but where I think brands have got to understand is that we're in a short form space. We're in a low ability to gain attention. Yet attention is the biggest value ever. Everyone wants to be famous Mm. for one reason, because the person with the most attention wins. 303, my agency, would be... 10 times the size of everyone knew who it was. Mm. It's just facts. Like, that's mm. why everyone wants to be a celebrity because yeah. you think you gain everything with it. You do gain so much from attention. Like, the Kardashians, they've built what they've built because of attention. That is what people are buying into and that's mm. what is sellable. So, what I think the, 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 the kind of thought process for brands now, from my perspective, is going into this year, we have to 
tell stories and tell a narrative in the shortest period of time possible, which is where creators are the biggest people to listen to. Mm. Because the skill set that I think creators don't realise they have is the ability to tell someone information very quickly. So if I sit in a meeting with my team, I want to know the answers in five minutes. I don't want to know the answers in mm. an hour. I yeah. think we can all resonate with that in some way, right? Sure. We want it quick and fast. Mm. And that's what we've become as humans. Mm. So what brands have got to do now is not just grab attention by posting on TikTok five times a day, is is include narrative and information and value mm. in a concise, informative manner. And that is what's going to lead to growth. Yeah. So 2022 was like the chaotic attention, post on TikTok and then post on shorts and post on Instagram and change your strategy and everything like that. Brands are doing that, but actually what they're doing is just jumping on trends and trying to make noise. The growth opportunity is the narrative, the storytelling, how that feeds into brand and building mm. brand. And that's where I think we're going into, which is, for me, really exciting. Because, yeah. excuse me, that's going to be video. That's not going to be as much imagery. It's going to be podcast content. It's going to be audio format. Like, that's the next evolution. Mm. Where it goes from there, like, I don't really know. I think that it's going to be an interesting curve. I think that that could be the setup we have for a little while. Mm. I think Web3 is kind of on pause right now. And I think Web3 will bring in different solutions to the way that mm. we consume anything on social platforms yeah. or online. Yeah. But I think that with the space and the economics of blockchain, that has meant that Web3 is going to have a bit of a slower ride than it thought. Yeah. It's still growing, but I think it's going to be slumped. Mm. But that will feed into what we do. I think that the platforms are building things pretty big stuff in the background. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot going on. And I think that all it's going to... It, Everything we talk about when it comes to social is down to what we do as humans. Sure. So if you can identify how humans behave mm. as a brand, you can hack it. Yeah. That's well, that's basically what marketing is. Yeah, <laughs> like, definitely. It, it is understanding consumer behaviorism. And align with that, obviously, there's a massive, massive push on AI. Mm. And, you know, as of yesterday, I think ChatGPT, the latest thing. Premium, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, reached capacity so they couldn't actually their server could not handle taking anybody else yeah. on how does AI fit into your business model this year? At the moment it doesn't really um, I think that there's a clever opportunity when it comes to um, the thing about AI is that it's it's going off what is being fed into it, right? So that's how AI works. You feed it data, it understands the data and puts it back out. It's not like just making it out of nowhere. Like I think mm. people sort of think we're still living in like iRobot days with Will Smith. <laughs> it's just not a thing. So like I think that the, the AI is going to develop massively. I think, you know, there's, there's so many things when it comes to tech which are like so ahead of their time. I don't know that AI is yet. I think that ChatGPT and stuff like that with the people behind it, I think it's going to become a part of everyone's life, not just mine. But I do wonder if people will adapt into the way of working. It's why most people don't understand crypto and mm. Web3 because it's a different way of thinking. Mm. And I think for me, especially with ChatGPT, even like my team, like how they want to use it. Like there's been there's been versions of ChatGPT, how the flip you said. <laughs> I'll call it chat for now. There's been versions of it for yeah. a long time. Like there was one called Jarvis, which mm -hmm. then changed to Jasper. That mm -hmm. was around two years ago. Mm. Like they've been around. Mm. It comes into the hype and the attention of this work, mm. of, of this technology that people will start to adapt into. I would argue that I think the reason why people love it right now is because there's a certain level of like ease to it and there's excitement and hype, which is exactly what happened to internet 2.0, internet 1, and crypto, and web 3. So, like, will it be a bit of a spike and then a, and then a dip down? I think it might be mm. in, in 2023, but I think the evolution of it will come into play. Sure. It's a bit like VR headsets, or do you remember Google Glass? Like, mm. there's stuff like that where, like, you look at it and go, like, this is it, it's happening, we're going to put chips in our heads. Like, yeah. It's sometimes a bit too early. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes down to people adapting to it as much as possible. Sure. It's like Clubhouse. Like, there's so many examples of, like, things in technology which people mm. have gone... This is it. We're in mm. it. This is the next thing. Mm. It's the next TikTok. It's the next Instagram. Um, I don't know if ChatGPT is that. GPT, yeah. isn't it? Not BT. Yeah, <laughs> BT, the phone provider. Literally, yeah, BT are on me. <laughs> um, something around that, because I think what you touched on was, is going to be very important for businesses, is around being able to nail that narrative. Yeah. And I don't think you can... You, you need the human brain, the mm. human input and, and the creative side for that. Yeah. Um, you work with a lot of challenge and disruptor brands, don't yes. you? Yeah. What is your thoughts on the whole pioneer versus disruptor? It's an interesting one. I think sometimes 
it, I mean, it comes down to the marketing, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, that's what we've seen. I think, you know, I won't mention the client names, but we have clients where, like, they've remarketed something that already exists and then they come across as a disruptor. I think what disruptor really sometimes means is how you can market a product into a space which masks it mm. and pushes it into something that's new. So... I guess this is one thing, especially with businesses, is like people have been through the same version of everything before. It's just altered and, and changed slightly, but it's the structure yeah. is the same. Is it the same in many ways? I think there are like, for example, um, Chris, who you know is involved in 303, he started a business called Lottie, which is going to revolutionize the care home space in a massive way. And it's an amazing business. And the reason why everyone is really interested in it is because of that reason. He is a disruptor, right? Mm. Monzo, Tom Bloomfield, that is a disruptor business, mm. a true disruptor business. I think that the marketing of a lot of our pioneer businesses and disruptor businesses often is just the way they market themselves. And that's really clever, which makes them a disruptor. So it's a bit of a weird one. Mm. Actual businesses and brands that I've seen that have done something that is completely new and different, very, very rare. And that's what I would call a unicorn. It's an Uber, it's a Monzo, it's a Facebook, it's maybe a TikTok, it's those sorts of things. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily like another version of um, vegan meat. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of those yeah. and they would call it like Beyond Meat is yeah. having a really hard time right now yeah. because their you know sales and shares are going down because like there's other people coming into it and people have realised actually this product has been around for 10 years mm. but it's only just coming and that's because of marketing. It all comes down to attention. It yeah. all comes down to how you perceive yourself and how you enter spaces. I think when brands say they're disruptive, we used to, in our communications as an agency, we used to say we are for disruptive brands. We removed it because we would get a lot of interest and work with a lot of people who were not disruptive brands. Mm. And we, I realised that actually they are beyond unicorns, you know, yeah. in many ways. Yeah. I can name, or I can think of a few unicorns that are really truly, but still no one knows about them. And that's because they haven't really elevated that marketing mm. and done that. So I think it is one of those things that's just clever marketing. But I think there are some things that are really interesting and really like chat, G, chat GPT is not necessarily a disruptive platform because mm. the technologies existed before. What they've done is elevated it and take it along. So, mm. but they've marketed it really well and they've yeah. managed to hack social and yeah. like use Elon and all that kind of stuff. Fascinating. So that's how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And what role do you see yourself playing in that? Um, 303 is not necessarily itself a disruptive agency. We had a model that a lot of people sometimes think that everyone else has. So like we call ourselves a creative digital marketing agency, which basically means like within our team, we have actual creatives, videographers, photographers, mm. people who can produce creative work. Yeah. And then we have a digital team. Some agencies, and I'm not going to name our competitors <laughs> and start slagging them off, but other, other agencies are digital agencies with creative abilities to be brought in-house. Yeah. The biggest challenge in our business is collaboration and communication, which brings all of these people together where a videographer on my team can understand what ROAS is on Facebook and a paid media specialist can understand what a CTA is and how to yeah. make it look beautiful in a video or work in a video. So for us, we were kind of a, again, we were a sort of disrupting the space, but no one knew of us because mm. we've been terrible at B2B marketing. Like that's been a flaw in my business. Really good at marketing B2C and D2C, really bad at marketing B2B, which is why we don't do it for brands because it's just a different way of yeah, communication and different way of using channels yeah um which is why you see now every founder of a business building a personal brand because they're naturally not very good at being good at b2b or whatever it might be mm. which is why you see every agency owner doing podcasts like this yeah. because of that reason yeah so um yeah i think we we have been disruptive but we haven't reached that capacity and we haven't experienced the benefits of being disruptive because we've not been good at showing people what we do sure and that's mistakes and yeah. that's where we learn and that's where yeah. we prioritize these things yeah, now so, um, so yeah i think being disruptive is exciting and cool and sexy actually being disruptive is a very risky approach because you can get it very badly wrong and mm -hmm. very badly right so mm -hmm. you know it's a, it's a bigger gamble but um yeah. you know for 303 we we think that we offer something that's different to other agencies the way we work the way we use creative the way we operate um the mm. way we can work with other brands and be extensions of whatever yeah. there are 10,000 agencies in the UK now most of them wow. came out through covid i think pre covid the numbers were like this is like 2019 like six and a half, seven thousand. Since COVID, gone up to 10,000. Um, so, like, competitive as hell. Mm. But how do you cut through? Yeah. Isn't everyone a creative digital marketing agency? Well, no, they're not. Like, it's about those communications and yeah. the attention. So, Definitely. yeah, that's where, we, that's where we find the challenges, for yeah. sure. 
Good. Excellent. Well, I mean, Ali, I think we could probably do this for hours. We probably could, yeah. Do a six-parter. Yeah. Is there anything we haven't spoken about that's burning on your chest that if you walk out the store, you'd be thinking, damn, I wish I said that? I don't think there is. I think the the only thing I'd say for like the challenger CEO part, I guess, of what this podcast is trying to do is is really, I guess, what that means and what that means to people. I think, um, you know, I, I love the name of the podcast because I think everyone as a CEO has got challenges ahead of them. Um, but I think that, like I said at the beginning when you asked me the question of the, the biggest pivotal moment, the starting is the most key bit, you know, unless I doubt mm. many CEOs of like, Nissan are listening to this who have worked their way up through the ranks. Mm. Most CEOs are self-imposed and most of them are startups and they've built their own businesses. They mm. are they are from the ground up people, right? And mm. I think that's where, I think that's an amazing achievement and something great to do. So many people want to do it, mm. but if you want to be a challenger CEO, I guess realize what the, what the why it's called a challenger CEO, yeah. you know, why it's not just called a CEO. Because I think it's the hardest, one of the hardest jobs to get right. I think a lot of people try it and I think it's really cool and you know people must think it's cool to have it on LinkedIn but actually it's kind of a bit of a curse in so many, so many ways mm. and it's you've got to really want to do it to yeah. do it because it, otherwise it's crippling like it Absolutely. is it's really hard to do and I think you know we all as self-imposed CEOs put ourselves in those positions um, and we all do that for our own reasons and our own self-belief or whatever mm. but the moment you don't want to do it don't put yourself through it because mm. I think it's I think it's really hard to do when you really don't want to. What piece of advice would you have for anybody that would like to start their own business? Uh, probably persistence. I probably said it quite a lot during this episode, but I think persistence is the main thing. Um, there's so many times where you will, you will give up and it will get worse and it will mm. get better. But being persistent, I think, has got... If you're, starting, if you're thinking of starting a business now if you're listening to this or you've already started and you're going through some challenges, mm. everyone always wants to see what other people have done to give themselves reassurance. They go, oh, let's, what, what's Elon done? What's all these people? Go really look into just one person that you respect as another CEO or someone starting a business and look at the challenges they've gone through. It can be anyone, anyone that you would deem success. Mm. I bet you the adversity they've had to go through is so high and that comes through being persistent. Yes. So I would say that persistence is the biggest thing you've got to get used to and, and always have it in your heart of being mm. like, I shouldn't give up because this person mm. didn't go up and that got me there. Like people always say to say to um, me when we talk about, I talk about this thing with friends, they're like, oh, Richard Branson was bankrupt three times. I'm like, yeah, what do you learn from that? And they're like, oh, he knows how not to go bankrupt. I'm like, no, he knows how to be persistent. He knows how to keep going from there. Like we can all associate ourselves with successful people, but often we just look at how much money they have versus what they've yeah. done to get there. Um, there are so many examples we could talk about, but I think persistence is key. Mm. Great advice. Hopefully. Great advice. Thank you. Where can, if anybody wants to connect and collaborate with you, sure. where can they find you? Well, obviously head over to 303. It's 303.london, um, which we thought was a cool URL and we couldn't get .co.uk because it was like 20 grand. Um, but yeah, 303.london is my agency and you can obviously find out more about us there. Um, I'm quite active on LinkedIn and Instagram and TikTok, which is just Ollie Fawcett, Ollie, mm. O-L-L-Y, and then Fawcett, like the taps. Mm. No association, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I probably wouldn't be sat here. But uh, yeah, that's basically where I post a lot of the content. Um, and yeah, my email is ollie at 303.london because I always respond to emails very randomly. So um, that's probably where you can find most about me. Fantastic. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks it's so much been... for having me. It's been great fun. Yes. Great to start Friday. <laughs> great. Well, let's do this again. For sure. You've been listening to the Challenger CEO podcast with your host, Karen Pollard. Follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok at the Challenger CEO or subscribe at www.karenpollard.com forward slash podcast.